Your financial choices may discuss various financial-related topics and thus would like to offer the following disclosures. Lori Siebert is employed by Valley National Group, the Valley National Financial Advisors Group of Companies. Investments are offered through Valley National Investments Incorporated, member FINRA. We inform you that any federal tax, state tax, financial advice, or information contained in this communication is not intended to be personalized or specific in nature or to be relied upon for your personal situation in any circumstance. The advice and information are not intended and cannot be used as a tax opinion letter nor used for the purpose of avoiding tax-related penalties. For personalized advice specific to your own situation, we recommend that you consult your CPA, CFP, or attorney. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the show. This is your host, Lori Siebert. I'm a CPA, CFP professional, and AEP on the web at yourfinancialchoices.com, and you can listen online each and every week at wdiy.org or on the WDIY app. And podcasts of prior shows are available on most streaming services. Today's January 3rd, 2024. Happy New Year. The markets were down today with the Dow closing at 37,430, the NASDAQ at 14,592, and the S&P at 4,704. Although through 2023, the markets really came back strong in that last quarter. So we are on track for hopefully better times. Tonight, I am talking about a punch list of financial New Year's resolutions. We are live. We'll take your questions. Cindy's in the studio with us this evening. We'll answer your calls, take your information, and we ask you to mute your radio so you can hear me without the delay and we can talk without confusion. We discuss general financial planning topics and not specific investments. And while I typically have a topic each week, you can still ask questions off topic and I will do my best to answer them. The number is 610-758-8810. That's 610-758-8810. You can talk live on air with us or if you're not comfortable talking live, give your question to Cindy. She'll write it down and bring it in to me. You can also send questions through the website, yourfinancialchoices.com. Uh Tonight, again, we're talking about financial New Year's resolutions, kind of just like a little simple punch list, and we'll talk about some details behind it. Um, So one of the first things, uh, you know, I'd like people to do is to make sure that they have an emergency reserve. Um, If you have not had an emergency reserve in the past, um, you may have felt it meaning all of a sudden you have a car repair, you have a roof repair, you have a, you know, plumbing repair, um, something, you know, goes wrong with the septic. (laughs) All of a sudden you have a big expense that you have, you know, no means to maybe cover. And then you kind of get possibly into like a a loop of, oh no, I don't have the money. What am I going to do? I'm going to put it on a credit card. Oh no, now I have this big credit card bill because you have high interest rates on a credit card typically, and you kind of can start to spiral. We don't want that to happen. The, to the extent that you can, um, establish an emergency reserve can make such a difference in your well-being and in your options. Um, you know, as a financial planner, a financial advisor, I, I, I'm always looking for, uh, you know, let's call it on-ramps, off-ramps, exit ramps, um, options, following the threads. I think that if you can discipline yourself to be able to do this, it will make such a difference for you. And the beauty of it is what, what I see over time 
is when people have an emergency reserve, um, they don't, uh, you know, they kind of get smarter about their money just naturally. You kind of start to, to watch it a little bit. You see your emergency reserve build up. And then when your emergency reserve becomes a little bit more, now you have some extra money. Now we can start talking about putting that to work for you in other ways. So an emergency reserve, typically we talk about six months. When I first started in the industry, we, we typically talked about like three month reserve. And, you know, over, over the, the past, you know, few decades, um, it, it, that almost isn't enough. You know, we used to maybe say, hey, you could use a credit card as a backup if you needed. But I really never encourage anyone to do that anymore. I personally, of course, use a credit card, we pay it off every single month. And we've done that for a very long time because there were years in my life where we did have credit card balances. I ended up putting some of my education on a credit card, folks, um, if you can believe that. And it, t- it takes a while to pay some of that down. And at the cost of credit these days, it's just something you'd rather avoid. So having that emergency reserve can help you avoid that. Emergency reserve of about six months of non-discretionary spending. And now interest rates on bank accounts, money market accounts are higher than what we have seen in many years. Um, we probably will maintain those rates for the next several months anyway. So if you do have an emergency reserve, let's pretend it's $40,000. Where do you have that? Is it just in the bank account? Is it is it in a high yield savings account? Can you get a better deal on that? You know, think about even $40,000 at 4%, it's going to give you $1,600 extra if you can get an annualized rate or have that for a year. Even if you only, if the rates average out and you only get $800, that's all just extra money. That's can, you know, buy some of those uh, unexpected expenses you might have, pay for those. Um, So emergency reserve, non-discretionary spending typically of six months, establish your emergency reserve. The next thing I think that would be really important is a New Year's resolution. So, so sorry, establish an emergency reserve. You have to kind of set up a plan, a discipline plan. Um, one of the things I've said over the years doing this radio show, what I've learned working with people, people who know mo- how much money they spend are the people who have money. Let me repeat that. People who know how much money they spend are the people who have money. And a lot of people don't want to have a budget. They don't like budgeting. Um, they, it makes it scary for them, but if you ignore it, you are overwhelmed by it, you don't want to face it, then you may be, um, may not be empowering yourself enough to be disciplined, to have an emergency reserve and kind of save for your future. So there, there really could be ways for you to try to, um, know how much money you're spending. And, and quickly, I'll just tell you something we use at the office is called the funnel method, that if you don't want to have a specific budget, you can say, how much money um, do I make each month? Let's say you net out $5,000 a month and your expenses are 4000 a month. Then what you could do is have your paycheck, your net paycheck of 5000 go into a savings account and you transfer 4000 to your checking account. So each month you think you're spending 4000, you transfer 4000, you spend 4000. Your savings account over that year then would you know build up to like $12,000 if this works the right way. 
if you keep having to transfer money from your savings account, then you're spending more than 4000 And then you have to say to yourself, if my true spending is 4000 but I'm actually spending five, what am I spending it on? Oh, I went out to eat. Oh, I treated everybody. I treated my friends. I, you know, went on a, a trip and I went first class or I bought the nice hotel or whatever. And you start to see where you're kind of spending some of that extra money, discipline yourself to keep within that monthly budget of 4000 And that's how you can easily do it. It's kind of like putting money in your retirement account where you set it and forget it. That's what the funnel method is. You, you decide how much money do you want to have at the end of each month to save, to build up this emergency reserve and have the total paycheck go into your uh, savings account, transfer what you're spending or what you want to spend um, maintaining the savings into your checking. And that's how you can kind of budget without having to do a detailed budget. Of course, if you get fancy, like an Excel spreadsheet, you can use an Excel spreadsheet to do your budgeting. You can do it by categories and, you know, sort and prioritize, do all kinds of things with Excel. There's plenty of apps out there right now that you could use for budgeting as well. Um, Mint, I think, has one and You Need a Budget is one. Um, I haven't reviewed those in a while, but certainly could set up some kind of a budget to have your emergency reserve and um, to build that up and then to avoid... um, you know, increasing debt. When we come back from this first break, I will talk about reviewing your debt, the nature of the debt, the cost of the debt, the recurrence of debt. And then of course, another New Year's resolution, which doesn't cost you any money at all, would be review your credit report. And I'm going to talk about that when we come back. If you have questions, the phone number is 610-758-8810. We'll be back in just a moment. WDIY thanks its members and Valley National Financial Advisors, offering a broad spectrum of financial services for more than 25 years, including fee-based asset management. It all starts with personal goals and an understanding of risk tolerance, investment objectives, and the markets. On the web at valleynationalgroup.com or 610-868-9000. Thank you to the members of WDIY for making all the programming you hear possible. Becoming a WDIY member is the best way to support your listening and to ensure WDIY will be here for the next person in our community to discover. Make your membership gift today at 610-694-8100 extension 4 or WDIY.org. We couldn't be here without you. Welcome back. This is your host, Lori Siebert. You're listening to Your Financial Choices right here on WDIY 88.1, also available on the WDIY app. If you have questions, the phone number is 610-758-8810. You can talk live on air or give your question to Cindy and she'll bring it in if you're not comfortable talking live on air. We are talking about New Year's resolutions. As I was leaving the house, my husband asked, what's the topic tonight? And I said, um, financial New Year's resolutions. And he said, well, you know, it's not good for anybody to have New Year's resolutions. And it reminded me of something I had seen recently on Instagram where a gentleman was saying, you know, talking about doing the thing isn't doing the thing. And thinking about doing the thing isn't doing the thing and planning to do the thing isn't doing the thing. And he went on and on and on and it it kind of cracked me up, but it's so true. So don't think about it. Don't talk about it. Just do it. Um, Easier said than done. I myself personally am a procrastinator. I like a lot of pressure and uh, then I really get stuff done, but you could call it putting 
artificial pressure on yourself. Don't call it a New Year's resolution. Just call it taking care of yourself financially. So we've talked about establishing an emergency reserve of at least six months of non-discretionary spending and uh, making sure that money is sitting somewhere where it's working for you, like a high-yield savings account. One of the reasons we want to have an emergency reserve is to avoid incurring debt. Uh, you know, when you have surprise expenses come up, that's what your emergency reserve is supposed to take care of. Um, if you had not had an emergency reserve in the past and have incurred debt, you really want to kind of watch to see how you're spending. Are you spending beyond your means? And what can you do to, um, you know, kind of dissuade yourself from, from doing that? I know when my husband and I were first together, you know, we'd go to a store and I'd say, oh, it's on sale. And he'd say, well, you know, it's going to be on sale another day again, you know, um, or there's always sales. And uh, or I'd see things at the checkout and it would be like impulsive buying. And he'd say, you know, they put it there to, to, for this very reason to be impulse buying. So when someone starts pointing it out to you and you start seeing it for yourself, that could also kind of help uh, self-awareness of, of, you know, overspending that you habits that you might have and thinking about why you have those uh, that goes into, you know, financial, um, uh, psychology, financial behavior uh, that you might need to kind of sit and talk with yourself about. But when you when we talk about reviewing debt, if you have any, I think it's important to recognize the difference in what kind of debt it is. So the nature of the debt. So for example, if you are buying a home, that could be really still okay debt because you've made an investment in an asset that you're using and that you hope will grow in value over time. So the nature of the debt for things like a mortgage could be good. You still want to be smart about that kind of debt as well. Meaning are you buying something, you know, above its reasonable value? Are you buying in a area where values are going up or down? Um, so you want to pay attention when you're kind of making those big purchases, but certain kind of debt could be necessary, helpful, and still could be a good investment. Um, the cost of debt, are you being smart about the cost of debt? So again, when you're going to buy a home, and I'm going to talk about credit in a minute, do you have good credit? Are you developing good credit now, a good credit history? Because a higher credit score can help you obtain uh, better options on financing when you go to buy a house. Um, so you want to be aware of that. So what can you do to get the better rate? Can you put more money down? Have you saved enough money beyond your emergency reserves to have maybe a bigger down payment on a home? That could lower your interest rate or lower um, the, um, the, the, the term of the loan. You could maybe go with a 20-year loan versus a 30-year loan, which could help with the interest rate. So that kind of debt could be good. Education debt could be very good. Um, we know statistically that people who have college educations um, have a, a better employment record or history. Uh, they kind of come out of layoffs a little bit better than people who don't have advanced degrees. So education could be a, a very good investment and could cost you some money, could, you know, had loans. As I mentioned, I had loans. Um, so that kind of debt could be good, um, the nature of that debt. And again, being smart still about what kind of loans you're taking me putting some of my education on a credit card, not such a good idea. Me going to the, um, you know, the, the 
what was it? The I don't I forgot what the office was called at, at the school I was at. And I took out short-term loans that I took out at the beginning of the semester to pay for the class. And I paid as I went during the semester. I worked a lot while I was in college. And that was probably okay. It was paid off by the end of the semester. I couldn't do that for my entire education, but I did do it for... Um, some of my education. I don't know if they even do that anymore, but that certainly worked for me back then. Uh, you also want to be careful of recurring debt. So look at your credit card statements. Are there things that you've signed up for that have automatic debits or automatic charges to your credit card that you really aren't using anymore? That gym membership, those magazine subscriptions, newspaper subscriptions, whatever it might be that is recurring um, expenses that you might have signed up for something and then you kind of forgot about it. My husband and I even had a few of those. You think you're on top of it, but you don't always, you know, realize. So reviewing those uh, monthly either credit card statements and or bank statements for those auto automatic debits and um, charges to your credit card. So watch out for recurrence of debt. And of course, the biggest culprit in all debt to me is the credit card debt where you have a balance and you're only paying the minimum amount. If you only pay the minimum amount, you, I mean, I can't tell you how many numbers of people have said, well, I pay off my credit card. You know, I pay my credit card every month. I pay my credit card every month, but they're paying a minimum amount due every month. It's like, they're never going to get out from under it. And you, you say to someone, people who think they have to buy back to my story about buying on sale, you just have to have it. You're going to buy it on sale 25% off, but then you're going to put it on a credit card where you're paying 25% on that charge. You're not buying anything on sale anymore. And really, if you walked into a store and I said, you can have that awesome coat at this price, plus 25%, plus 25% on the cost of that coat. Would you buy it? No, you wouldn't. So let's change our framework when we're thinking about, um, you know, how we're spending money as part of our New Year's resolutions in 2024 is let's be more present when we're thinking about how we're spending. But also think of about how we're saving to be present in both air arenas. And then it, it, it kind of, um, you know, uh, snowballs, uh, when we're careful about how we're spending, and we're smart about how we're saving. Um, it has, it works faster that way. Um, so just be aware of how much you're putting on credit cards, if you can't pay it off um, all at once, pay it off more than the minimum balance, you got to get out from under that that high credit card debt. Of course, there's always the option of like the 0% cards occasionally. I don't know if they even come out anymore. I mean, I, I don't ever get those offers. Or if I do, I guess I throw it away automatically. Um, because it doesn't matter to me because I pay it off. Um, but if you do have higher uh, credit cards that you are trying to pay down, and you do have an offer for a 0% card, that could be always something that you'd want to explore. You just have to remember that um, you don't want to get trapped if all of a sudden you miss a payment and they kind of revert back and, and go back to the higher interest rate. You want to make sure that you're taking uh, advantage of all the rules to qualify and retain that 0% as long as you can uh, for that period of time. So um, establish an emergency, emergency reserve 
and review your debt, the nature of the debt, the cost of the debt, and of course, the recurrence of the debt. When we come back, we're going to talk about reviewing your credit report. That's really easy to do, and it's free. The phone number is 610-758-8810. We'll be back in just a moment. WDIY thanks its members and Valley National Financial Advisors, offering a broad spectrum of financial services for more than 25 years, including income tax preparation for individuals, businesses, estates, and trusts. Tax preparation involves more than putting numbers on a return. It requires planning. On the web at valleynationalgroup.com or 610-868-9000. Did you know your phone is a radio? You can tune in to WDIY anywhere on the go with WDIY's phone app. Download for free from the Apple or Google Store, and your phone will become your trusted radio. The easy-to-use app lets you listen to WDIY on your phone live and access your favorite music shows on demand. Download and share the WDIY app with your friends and family and introduce them to many choices, real voices. Welcome back. This is your host, Lori Siebert. You're listening to Your Financial Choices. We're talking about New Year's financial resolutions. And um, if you have questions, the phone number is 610-758-8810. You can talk live on air with me or give your question to Cindy and she'll bring it in and I'll do my best to answer it. Uh, In reviewing uh, your credit report, why are we talking about that? When we talk about New Year's financial resolutions, and we just talked about having an emergency reserve, we talked about reviewing your debt. Why is that important? It's important because when I said when you go to get a loan, like to buy a house or to buy a car, you could get more favorable terms if you have a better credit history. That credit history comes from you obtaining debt. So when we talk first about debt, um, it's when you owe people money. And some information from consumer.gov. Consumer.gov has information on debt and, you know, um, how to get out of debt and what is debt and credit history and has all this, a bit of this information that I'm going to talk about shortly. It also talks about, you know, protecting uh, yourself from identity theft and always some good information on that. So when we talk about um, debt, And when you could get in trouble with debt is when you have money that you cannot pay back, obviously. Um, You want to understand what's going to hurt you on your credit history. And that is owing a lot of money on credit cards, paying bills late, not paying the minimum amount due, and skipping payments. So even if you pay bills on time, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have good credit. If you have, for example, a lot of money on credit cards or you are paying it late, even if you're making the payments. So you got to be careful. These things can hurt your credit history, which then could hurt your ability to get favorable terms on certain loans. So let's talk about the credit history Um, from consumer.gov. Sometimes people talk about your credit and what they mean is your credit history and it describes how you use money. How many credit cards do you have? How many loans do you have? Do you pay your bills on time? If you have a credit card or a loan from a bank, you have a credit history and companies collect information on you and how you, um, you know, pay your bills. And then that credit report is a summary of your credit history. It gives your name, address, social security number, credit cards, your loans, how much money you owe, if you pay your bills on time or, or late. And why do I have a credit report? 
businesses want to know about you before they lend you money? Would you want to lend money to someone who pays bills on time or to someone who always pays late? Businesses look at your credit report to learn about you. They decide that they want to lend you money or give you a credit card. Sometimes employers look at your credit report when you apply for a job. For example, I'm in the financial services industry. They absolutely look at our credit reports to see you know, it's very important in, in, in our fields, and I'm sure it's in many, many fields. Um, cell phone companies and insurance companies look at your credit report, too. And who makes your credit report? A company called a credit reporting company collects your information, and there are three big uh, credit reporting companies, TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian. And they write and keep a report on you and you can see your credit report. You can get a free copy of your credit report every year from each of the three. So you actually have the opportunity to get three reports. So you could do one in January, one in June and one in December. So a easy New Year's resolution is to get your credit report. It's kind of fun to look at it. You can get one copy from each of the three companies and there's a phone number and a website that you can access easily to get any of the three. And the website is annualcreditreport.com, annualcreditreport.com. Um, this is really important to get comfortable with this regardless, because in today's day and age, when so many people become victims of, you know, getting their bank accounts hacked or credit cards hacked or scammed or whatever, you want to be comfortable with these credit agencies because you can go online and freeze your credit to protect yourself. If you find out that you were a victim of something, you can freeze your credit. You can go online to the three services and say, freeze my credit, which means um, you have to be contacted, meaning people can't go grab your information or apply for a credit card using your name or your information. Um, without you knowing it. So annualcreditreport.com. Um, and you should be able to um, get a free credit report from that site on any of the Experian, Equifax, or TransUnion. They also talk about a credit score. And a credit score is a number, and it's based on your credit history. But it does not come with your free credit report unless you pay for it. So I'm not exactly sure. Sometimes people will know what their credit score is, and I don't know why some people know it and some people don't. My husband yelled out our credit score last night or the night before to me. I don't. I didn't even ask him where he got it. I'm not sure where it came from. But he said, you know, here's what our credit score is. Uh, it might have been a part of another service that we have. I'm not sure. Um, a high credit score obviously means you have good credit. A low credit score means you have bad credit and different companies have different scores. Low scores are around 300. High scores are around 700 to 850. Uh, do I need to get my credit score? It's important to know what is in a credit report, but a credit score is a number that matches your credit history. So it's not necessarily needed by you to know what your credit score is. I mean, it might be important if your goal could be to raise your credit score, and it's easier than you think to raise your credit score. You can do it fairly quickly, like by paying down some 
you know, credit cards. Um, another point I want to make, especially for young people who may not have credit cards or you're still living at home, coming out of college, maybe living at home for a couple of years, you definitely do want to establish some kind of credit. I know my daughter had established it using a department store credit card and she instantly set up auto pay as soon as, uh, as soon as there was a charge on her credit card, she paid it off like instantly. Credit cards might, companies might not like that, but she did it to kind of build up her credit. And of course she has outstanding credit, big savings account, no credit. You know, she doesn't, you know, have any balances on her credit card. So has done a great, great job with um, saving, et cetera. Uh, so you don't necessarily need it, but if it helps you reach that goal of increasing your credit score. So in the eventuality that you want to buy a house or a car, that would be important. Um, it's also that credit history could be important if you're going to rent um, because even landlords can look up your credit history. So you do want to make sure that you do that. Um, if you've never had a credit card um, then or had a loan, then you're not going to have any credit history. So you may not be able to obtain financing for that eventual purchase. So you definitely do want to kind of build it up. Just don't let yourself get in a bad habit of, you know, holding, carrying balances and things like that on, on credit cards. All right. So credit report, we talked about that. That would be a very easy New Year's resolution. It could be something you check off your list right away as part of our financial resolutions is to review your credit report. Um, it also tells you, you know, what kind of history you have, what cards you've had. And um, uh, I used that actually when I also went to sign on for mysocialsecurity.gov. You know, you could sign up for your own social security account at Social Security Administration, SSA.gov. And they asked such crazy questions. My credit report actually helped me answer the questions because you, you may not remember when they when they ask for details about your history. I think some of the questions had to do, did you ever have a credit card with, you know, ABC company? I was like, gosh, I couldn't remember, but it was there on my credit report. It also might tell you some of your old addresses and things like that. So it, it it has a lot of information, really interesting. Get comfortable with it. Um, when we come back from this next break, I'm going to talk about um, the saving side of New Year's resolutions, uh, financial resolutions for New Year's, talking about building up some savings and some good tips for that. If you have questions, the phone number is 610-758-8810. We'll be back in just a moment. WDIY thanks its members and Valley National Financial Advisors, offering a broad spectrum of financial services for more than 25 years, including estate planning and tax preparation, especially for Pennsylvania and New Jersey residents subject to state inheritance tax reporting. On the web at valleynationalgroup.com or 610-868-9000. Welcome back. If you have questions, the phone number is 610-758-8810. You can call and talk live with me. Or if you're not comfortable talking live, just give your question to Cindy. She'll write it down and bring it in. We are talking about New Year's resolutions, financial New Year's resolutions. Um, we talked about establishing an emergency reserve, reviewing your debt, the nature of your debt, the cost of your debt, the recurrence of your debt, getting a credit report, getting a free credit report from any of the three credit agencies, Equifax, Trans um, um, Union or uh, Experian, and you can do that through the website annualcreditreport.com. Great uh, resource. You can do that once a year for each of those. In fact, I had when I went on there, it, it said like you could get like a I think it was like a monthly or 
weekly or something like that. So I don't know if that's kind of new that they've opened it up, but it's always been once a year in the past. Now let's talk about the saving side of New Year's resolutions. Remember I mentioned about setting and forgetting it uh, when you do kind of automatic savings. You can do that through a 401k if you are employed and you have an employer plan that's provided. Um, set it and forget it is great because when you start working and become eligible to participate in an employer-sponsored plan, it may be right as soon as you start. It may be when you're full-time. It may be after a year. There's different criteria for each different employer's plan. Typically, that is something um, you should ask when you're interviewing. You know, what are, what are some of the benefits? You want to make sure that you know what those are. Uh, if there is an employer-sponsored retirement account, because the difference between an employer-sponsored retirement account, such as a 401k or a 403b, versus not having one, is if you don't have an employer-sponsored plan, then the retirement savings options for you would probably be an IRA or a Roth IRA, and those have very limited amounts that you can save, whereas in an employer-sponsored 401k or 403b, there is significant um, savings that you can uh, be eligible for because the employee portion of a contribution to a 401k is so high. So the amount, golly, I know the 2023 amounts off the top of my head, for an employee under 50 is 22500 And for 23, the Roth IRA and the IRA was 6500 If you were over, um, I think, am I doing the right amounts? If you were over age 50 for the 401k or 403b in 2023, you could do an additional $7,500. And that was up to $30,000 then if you're 50 or over. So that's huge savings. Um, in 2023, the amounts for the um, IRA and the, the Roth, golly, I was going to say $6,500 and all of a sudden, yeah, $6,500. Or um, if you're 50 or older, an additional 1000 So you could do 7500 Those amounts change for 2024. I think in 2024, it's... Um, the for 50 or over on a 401k is 30,500 and the Roth IRA and the uh, regular IRA might be up to 7,000 now. Regardless of the amounts, huge difference between the 401k that you could put away versus an IRA. So that's why if you have an employer sponsor plan, it's really the the biggest way I guess you could save for retirement in dollars in the amounts that you could save. So from the employer um, standpoint, They have the plan. You can make contributions up to that amount. I'm not saying you necessarily would. And let me kind of clarify that. When we talk about our resolutions for 2024, we've talked about having the emergency reserve. We've talked about reducing debt. And now I'm telling you to put money in your employer retirement account. Here's where I really would like to see people putting money in their retirement account is if you get a match. So if the employer puts in money, if you put in money, that's free money. I always like the free money. So you want to see if you're able to put in enough to get the match. So quite often, well, there is always a summary plan document that comes with a 401k, a summary plan description. Sometimes they'll give you like a um, condensed version you want to understand 
if you put in what percent do you get a match? Some plans, the employers put it in automatically. You don't have to put anything in. That's called the safe harbor plan. That's awesome. But there are other plans where the employer wants you to put money in. So if you put in 6%, maybe they put in three. Or if you put in 4%, they'll put in two. Or if you put in, you know, all different iterations of that. So you really would like to be able to put in enough to get the employer match. That's what I like to see first. But I want to make sure that you're also taking care of that debt. So, you know, you really need to review your own personal situation to make sure that your goals, your resolutions for the year aren't at odds with each other. Um, Debt is costing you money. If the debt is only 2.5% on your house and you're making 4% in your savings account and you're making 8% in your retirement account, then I'm not worried about paying off the debt that only cost me 2.5% because that's cheap debt. That's great. Um, I want to let my savings and my investments work for me at a much higher rate of return. So I really would like to save them. But if you have credit card debt that's costing you 24%, 25%, and you don't have any emergency reserves, yeah, I would like you to get the match, but I really think we need to work on that debt and that emergency reserve. So you need to kind of review your own discipline, your own circumstances, and see what you're up for here. But getting that match is really important if it's available. The other thing you want to watch out for is sometimes I'll have people who are really eager, great savers. They they might have adequate resources and they try to just fund it right away up front at the beginning of the year. Well, if your employer offers a match and you're only doing it for the first three months because you make so much money, then you may not get a match for the rest of the year. So just be careful because, you know, remember they're only going to put in, if you put in 20% in January and they only match, you know, 3% up to your 6%, well, they're going to give you 3% and you might be fully funded in the first three months and you're not going to get the match the rest of the year. So you just want to be careful about overfunding your 401k when you have a match too early in the year. You want to make sure you're doing it evenly throughout the year. Watch out for bonuses, that kind of thing. Okay, so employer match. Um, Outside of that, and also a consideration, even if you have an employer plan, is funding Roth IRAs. Roth IRAs, you put money into them. It's on an after-tax basis, and they grow income tax-free. Um, the differences here, when I talk about the 401k and the 403b, typically we're talking about pre-tax dollars, meaning you're getting a deduction today. That's really powerful because you have the power of um, kind of compounding more money because you're getting basically a tax deduction for it up front on a pre-tax basis. And there are plans that offer what we call designated Roth features, meaning if you're income is low, like my, you know, son starting out his first job out of college, his income's not as high as, you know, a career person. If you're in a lower income tax bracket, putting money into a Roth, even though you're not getting a deduction, could be a great thing because you're probably in the lowest tax brackets you'll ever be right now. Um, And then you get some of that Roth money growing income tax free. Um, And or if you're working, you have an employer plan and you do a designated Roth, that could be at a, you know, 
you're in a low tax bracket, you might not need the deduction. So yeah, you're kind of paying tax on that money up front, but then it's growing income tax-free. And when you eventually take it out, it's income tax-free, all that growth on it. Um, so you might consider doing a 401k, getting do putting enough in to get the match, and then maybe funding a Roth outside of that because you can still fund a Roth even if you have a 401k. So this could be a New Year's resolution for you to review. Am I eligible to do a Roth IRA even if I already have an employer plan? And you may be. And it doesn't matter if in the employer plan you're doing the pre-tax contribution or the or the designated Roth contribution, because that's a completely separate plan. That's called an ERISA plan. That's completely under a different set of rules than the IRA rules. So you can have a 401k, contribute to a 401k, and still do a Roth if you're eligible. There are income limitations on that. So for people who want to do a Roth IRA, if you're married filing joint, you can still have a 401k, still contribute to the 401k. If your adjusted gross income is less than $218,000 as a married filing joint couple, you can still put money into a Roth. So if your savings are building up, you've got your emergency reserve, you have all these additional savings, you need some place to put it. If you've already funded your 401k to whatever extent you want, and you still have extra money, you could always look at funding a Roth IRA and get that to grow income tax-free. So for the Roth, you have to have earnings. You have to have earned income. You can't do it on interest, dividends, social security, pensions. You have to have earned income and you have to be within certain income limitations. So the um, if you have uh, an employer plan. So the single people, it's 138000 or less. And then there's a phase out and then over certain dollar amounts, you're not eligible to do the Roth. You could always be eligible to do a non-deductible IRA, though. Many people don't realize this. There is a feature we call the backdoor Roth. For many years, I didn't talk about it because it was considered a loophole, and it, you know, I shun away from loopholes. But the backdoor Roth is kind of was acknowledged through some of the tax recent tax legislation we've had, and how that works. The backdoor Roth you've always been able to do a non-deductible IRA. It doesn't matter about the income limits or anything. People have always been eligible to do, if you have um, earned income, uh, a non-deductible IRA subject to those limits I mentioned, $6,500, 2023, extra $1,000 if you're over 50, 50 or over. You've always been able to do that non-deductible IRA. So now I put $7,500 into a non-deductible IRA. And guess what? I don't have any other IRAs. Well, I have basis in that IRA now, right? So I didn't get a deduction for it. I have basis for it. Well, I can convert my IRA. I can convert my IRA and I only pay tax on my pre-tax dollars. Well, in my story, I don't have any pre-tax dollars. So I convert my IRA to Roth and now I have a Roth that I otherwise would not have been eligible to do because my income was too high in my story. All right, so there is something called the non-deductible IRA that could work. If you... Um, already have IRA balances, you certainly still could do a non-deductible IRA. If you're eligible for a Roth, I would never do a non-deductible IRA. If you know, you would always do the Roth first. But if your income's too high to qualify for the Roth um, IRA, you could do the non-deductible. If you have other IRA balances, you might not convert, but then you do have basis in the IRA. That's something you would have to chat track continually for the rest of your life. So that gets a little bit more more complicated. Um, just some quick numbers on the power of the Roth. 
if you did $500 a month for 15 years, invested it, but invested it for 30 years. And the reason I say 15 years is because maybe after 15 years, you don't qualify for it anymore. Maybe you qualify for the Roth for the first 15 years of your investing life. So $500 a month for 15 years, that's $90,000 you invest it. Um, but you keep it invested for 30 years because you don't need to take it out. You started at like age, you know, 25, you saved till age 40, and then you don't take it out until age 55. Well, and in this story, maybe you don't even take it out then, but I just have it invested for 30 years at 6%. Um, it's at about a uh, hundred and let me see. Oh, it's $145,000 at 15 years. At 30 years, it's worth $355,000 at 6%. That's a $90,000 investment um, without any additional contributions. If you had that same $90,000 investment where you did 500 a month for 15 years at 6%, um, at, and we change it to uh, 30 years, did I get my numbers right? Yeah, 355. At, at 8%, you get closer to $572,000. So this is where people always think, oh, I got to be conservative. I don't want to lose my money. I don't want to lose my money. Well, conservative would be even less than 6% return. On an 8%, 6% in my story, you got 355. At 8%, you get 572 for doing the exact same thing, just being a little bit more aggressive. 572. So interest rates play a, a big factor in your returns. Uh, time plays a big factor in your returns. And obviously saving and doing it uh, systematically and having a discipline and sticking to the discipline, sticking to the strategy. All right. So that could be a New Year's resolution. Kind of try to learn how to understand money this year. Uh, folks, we are, have uh, one last break. And the phone number is 610-758-8810. We'll be back in just a minute. WDIY thanks its members and Valley National Financial Advisors, offering a broad spectrum of financial services including portfolio management, tax return preparation, and financial planning for the accumulation years, retirement years, and estate distribution. On the web at valleynationalgroup.com or 610-868-9000. American folk music offers a variegated pattern of performers and styles. I'm Tom Druckenmiller, your host for In the Tradition. Together we'll trace the roots and branches of American folk music from the earliest recordings and performers through today's talented players. In the Tradition, Wednesday evening from 7 to 9 p.m. on WDIY 88.1 FM and WDIY.org. Welcome back to the show. This is your host, Lori Siebert. You're listening to Your Financial Choices right here on WDIY. Available on many streaming services as well. Just search for Your Financial Choices. Questions could be submitted through yourfinancialchoices.com. And if you'd like to call during the show and speak live with me, the phone number is 610-758-8810. Or just give your question to Cindy. She'll write it down and, and bring it in to me and I'll do my best to answer them. We're talking about financial New Year's resolutions. We talked about at length <laughs> about, um, you know, contributing to retirement accounts, getting that savings going. It's really important also to understand the geography of your assets. Diversification number is the most important thing. Diversification, very, very important in, in getting uh, the returns that you hope and want for over time. Um, also asset allocation, diversification, diversification of, you know, 
um, kind of investment strategies as well. Um, but let's talk about the geography now of your investments. You heard me going on and on about Roth IRAs, which I love. Remember, Roths grow income tax-free. I talked about the differences in kind of returns, uh, what a difference the returns can make on the growth of a portfolio. The 6% in my story earlier resulted in a $355,000 portfolio on 90000 after 30 years and a $572,000 balance with 8%. So when we talk about our asset geography and we talk about returns, typically the more risk you take, the more return you expect. Um, and I say measured return, measured risk, you know, understand what your risk is. But when we're more aggressive, typically that means more equities in our portfolio. There's more volatility with equities. We're hoping for more return because when we take more risk, we're taking more return. So where would I like to see more return in my various assets. Well, I would like to see the most return in my Roth IRA because the most return is the most growth over time, income tax-free. So that's where I really would like to see most of my growth in my Roth. Um, just a little reminder, this is for education people. I'm trying to help you understand kind of what we talk about when we're talking about asset geography. If I have an IRA, a regular IRA or a 401k, that money is growing and it's all growing at ordinary income tax rates. When I go to take money out of my retirement accounts, my IRA, my 401k, my 403b, it, when it was all contributed on a pre-tax basis or from employers, that's going to come out at ordinary income tax rates. Well, what other kind of assets have ordinary income? Fixed income, we're talking bonds, money markets, fixed income has ordinary income tax rates. IRAs have ordinary income tax rates, no matter how we slice and dice it. You could have an IRA full of equities. I don't have a problem with that either. Um, you're just not getting the tax advantages of the equities or the growth um, that come with equities. In a Roth, it's tax-free, so that's a, a huge advantage. In an individual account or a joint account, I'll just call it a brokerage account, when I have equities, I get tax advantages because the dividends are taxed at favorable tax rates if they're qualified dividends. And we have long-term capital gains that get taxed at favorable tax rates. And if I die holding those assets that are highly appreciated long-term assets, my heirs get a step up in basis and it kind of wipes out, you know, those unrealized gains to my heirs. So tons of advantages to having equities in individual accounts and in Roth accounts. So when we look at asset geography, where do we have what? Do I have all of my equities in my IRA and all of my fixed income in my bank account or in my individual account? Well, I'm not getting always the best tax advantages. So one of the New Year's resolutions for you could be to review the kinds of assets you have in your various kinds of accounts. So, you know, we talked about the nature of debt. Let's talk about the nature of our investments. Try to understand that and kind of, you know, embrace it a little bit. Um, it, it, it helps when you, you kind of start to question and look at it with a different eye and it all starts to kind of like reveal itself. If you've ever done one of those three, 3D images where you stare at the 3D image and all of a sudden it reveals another picture, that's what this is like. You, you start to dig uh, into your investments and understand them a little bit and all of a sudden you have a, a different appreciation uh, for what you can do and, and how powerful it can be. And, and tweaking things here and there in little, little ways 
is what makes a difference over time. So let's talk about a, a couple more. Um, uh, oh, and rebalance, of course. Rebalancing is really important. And this is probably one of the harder things for many people to do. I, I often see people who have 401ks or retirement accounts, they invest and rarely look at it again. It could serve you well. So don't get me wrong, that could serve you well if you ever look at it. Because sometimes it's about like, you know, sticking to the strategy. Uh and, you know, you don't get upset when, when the markets are volatile and pull out at the wrong time. It's very tricky, tricky, tricky to time the markets. So sometimes not looking at it has worked for people. But rebalancing is important because rebalancing means you're selling the things that have done really well and you go into um, other investments that have not performed as well because over time that could switch. So you rebalance when you, you sell high, buy low, sell high, buy low. That's what rebalancing basically does um, kind of in a nutshell and that could work for you over time. But people really, really resist selling things that are doing really, really well. Um, and that also can serve you, you well over time. It all depends. There are certain companies that have done well and they go belly up and boy, oh boy, should you have gotten rid of your, you know, Lucent or your GE or your Enron. Um, so uh, just something to, to think about. Uh, you kind of have to have that discipline strategy. So rebalancing is important as well. So now let's go over a couple other tips. One of the things I, I frequently push for people is, you know, reviewing estate planning. I've done a show on that recently. I don't know if it was last week or a couple of weeks ago. Estate planning, very important, understanding um, your estate plan for your lifetime and for when you go. And a critical piece of that is to finish your estate documents or at least obtain them if you don't have them. If you have something, something is better than nothing, but really important to have um, a will, power of attorney, healthcare directives, and a living will um, just because you never know what might happen. Um, something could happen to you. You think a will's not important. Everything's going to my spouse. If you're married, well, that's not how it works. If you don't have a will, not everything may go to your spouse. It depends on asset titling. It depends on beneficiary designations. Um, if you owned a, a bank account with, you know, $100,000 in it, and it was in your name alone, and you didn't have a will, and you're married, and you think it's going to your spouse. There's rules uh, called intestate rules each state has. And uh, for example, that could end up going partially to your children, and which could be totally fine, but that probably wouldn't have been your intention. It probably would have been to go to your spouse. And then is there like a little bit of argument there? Do, do the kids get along with mom and dad? So you never, you never know. Um, very important. Will, power of attorney, healthcare directors, and living will. Something's better than nothing. And of course, in line with that, and, and really a first step at doing any estate planning is reviewing your asset titling, uh, because that also is part of the estate planning. Joint, you know, titling can go to the survivor. You have to understand if it's joint, you know, joint with a spouse, joint with, you know, a friend or a sibling or joint tenants in common where you actually actually own your own separate share of it. That is very different than joint with rights of survivorship. Um, but beneficiary designations are also important. You can have transfer on death. You can have um, payable on death. You can have a named beneficiary on a life insurance policy, on an annuity, on your retirement accounts 
primary beneficiaries, contingent beneficiaries. I just talked about all of this at a recent show, so I'm not going to go over it again. It's just about making sure that you're reviewing it as part of your resolution. Again, that's a free thing to do. You know, New Year's resolution is, is, it's not as bad as having to lose weight or exercise. It's, it's just reviewing beneficiary designations. It's really less painful. Um, so that, that would be an easy one to check off your list. In fact, if you did it in January, you could say you've already accomplished. Just put a couple of these bullet item, bullet, you know, points on your, on your resolution list and, and knock them off right away. Getting the credit report easy and reviewing your beneficiary designations, reviewing if you're contributing to your retirement accounts, that kind of thing. These are pretty easy uh, to do. Don't wait till open enrollment for, for some of these things, which some people do. Just do it now. Review it now. Um, so reviewing beneficiary designations, primary and contingent. The, the idea with the contingent is a primary beneficiary could pass with you, meaning quite often we name our spouse. Um, and if something happens to both of us, then what happens if you don't have contingents, then quite often it'll go to a default beneficiary. That default beneficiary may be your estate. And that would not be a good result if... Um, if it's retirement accounts, because it accelerates the distribution of retirement accounts. If it goes through an estate, it accelerates it to typically five years. So you want to be really careful of that. That's why contingents are very powerful. Another wonderful reason to have contingents is it also provides what we call post-mortem planning, meaning after one dies, I have had a number of situations where a spouse has passed away, surviving spouses named as the primary beneficiary, and they have children named as the contingent. And we find that the surviving spouse has no cash needs whatsoever, is in a very high tax bracket, and the kids are in very low tax brackets. Well, there was a circumstances where then the primary beneficiary, the spouse, surviving spouse, disclaims the um, IRA or part of the IRA, you don't even have to do it all, you can do a portion of it, disclaimed some of the asset, which then naturally went to the contingent beneficiaries that the decedent had named. They're the only ones who get, you know, the, the primary owner is the one who gets to name the contingents. And so the surviving spouse disclaimed some of the IRA assets went to the children. The children were able to take required minimum distributions over their lifetime. They could always take out more. It was a great tax uh, planning strategy, great estate planning strategy, worked out really well and um, got some money into the hands of the kids without the surviving spouse having to do any gifting. That was all pre-portability and you know federal estate tax issues. So um, great planning technique. We could do it because of the contingent beneficiaries. So review those. That's an easy, you know, easy resolution. Review your beneficiary designations. Do you have a contingent or do you not? Um, and then of course, take care of your health. That is your most important asset in your financial health because taking care of yourself helps you maybe work longer and has fewer cost as far as healthcare cost and, um, you know, medical needs, etc., prescriptions, etc. So really take care of your health. It is your most important asset. It's a goal I always strive for. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I'm not as good at that. So I'm going to have to listen to a show about resolutions for the new year to take care of your health. And uh, hopefully our listeners have, have, you know, 
appreciated some of the tips we have tonight. I hope it helps. I hope it's easy for you to have some financial resolutions, particularly for those people who may not be or consider themselves financially savvy. This is the whole goal of this program, this education program we're able to bring you from WDIY is to um, help those who may not have, you know, advisors out there that are available to them. Maybe you're not ready for that. But hopefully we can give you some tips and that you can take have some takeaways uh, from tonight to help you launch into 2024 to have it be your best financial year that you can have. So we appreciate you listening. We appreciate being here and we look forward to bringing more programming uh, over over the coming months and years. I always say be proactive in your financial decisions. And one of the things you can do as well is listen to the show each week. Um, coming up, I want to thank Cindy for being here. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Peter, for being here. Next week, we're going to talk about managing cash flow while working and through retirement. Coming up next, we have Tom Miller within the tradition folk music. Remember, be proactive, not reactive. Make the best of your financial choices and have a great week. Thank you.